So it has been quite a while since my last podcast. I am pretty sure it's more than 12 days. I don't even want to look. Uh, I have been very busy. Uh, the week of my birthday was last week. I turned 51. I won't say exactly what day. And uh, then there was President's Weekend afterwards. And I think the last thing I put up was the uh, broadcast of the emergency podcasting system on a Friday before my birthday. So it's been a long time and I didn't play D&D much last week. Uh, we, we skipped Monday night AD&D on Monday the 15th or 14th. And we didn't skip it because of Valentine's Day. We just, we just couldn't play. Um, and then I didn't, it was the week we don't play. We only play my Friday night Greyhawk every other Friday. And I missed Brian Larch's Saturday uh, one shot on Saturday the the twelfth because my sons took me to Philadelphia to see the Philadelphia 76ers play the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Joel and B dropped forty one points and had a triple double or forty points I don't know, I forget it was insane we had a great time, uh, and then I didn't play this past Saturday because my son was participating in the Mid Atlantic Jazz Festival which. Uh, he's in an orchestra and the leader of his orchestra, his name's Paul Carr. He runs this jazz festival and we also had basketball on Sunday, but Saturday, I didn't play Saturday night because I just had too much running around to do. Oh, and, and in the midst of it all, we got my son his driver's license. He went and took his test on my birthday, which I took the whole day off and we had lots of issues just getting him there for the test. I, I realized this is actually quite amazing. I'm going to bring it up in the podcast because I think it's a riot. I discovered that my car, the car he has been practicing in for a long time now, almost a year, because we I started last year before he turned 16, I let him start practicing. Um, even before he had his permit, I would take him to a parking lot in my car. I realized the car was never registered in 2020, the year of the pandemic. I couldn't believe it. I checked my, I get these notices from the MVA via email and I immediately register my cars. I searched my emails for all the MVA emails I have going all the way back to 2016. And the only email I had from MVA in the pandemic year, the first year of the pandemic, was one at the end of the year to get the car's emissions, which I did. I took it to the emission station. And there they didn't even tell me that my registration had expired the previous April, April of 2020. So that was like ground zero of time for the pandemic, April of 2020, March of 2020. MVA, I, I think MVA shut down for several months back then and uh, no emails went out. And here we are almost two full years later and I'm driving an unregistered car. So the other car I have, the battery was dead and it has a cracked mirror, so we can't use that for the driving test. I wanted to use my son's car, but he was already at work that day without his registration card. We called his driving school to see if we can rent their car for the ridiculous $125 that they offered to let students use their cars in case you don't have your own car. But it was too late. We called him that morning. I realized that I didn't have a car for him at midnight the night before. So it was already too late to rent that car. So fortunately, I have a really good friend of mine in the neighborhood. And she, I can't believe it, she let us use her brand new hybrid RAV4, which has dimensions very similar to my car, and she let us borrow it. And I took him at, at 11.30. We, he got a quick practice in her car in the parking lot we'd been using. 
He's he's fine, and he got his test no problem. He passed the test no problem, so he's now a licensed driver. So it was just a long week. All of that added up to no Dungeons and Dragons last week, and no podcasting. I was barely on Dragon's Foot. A lot going on at work, and I bring all this up. Why does this relate to my podcast? Am I just complaining to you guys? I'm really not. The point is, it's it's frustrating. You know, I want to play and I enjoy playing, and the whole week goes by, and you have a lot going on, and a lot of some of it frustrating. And, you know, you miss the game. So I'm really, I'm just making this podcast tonight because I just wanted to talk about the game. And and uh, so this week, though, we got back at it. Monday night, AD&D went off really well last night. Uh, it's now Tuesday. I also listened to three wise DMs yesterday while I was working from home. I work from home on Mondays. And uh, they had a great episode on how you keep the face, the quote unquote face of the party from dominating the party. So I even shared this podcast with my Monday night group and with some others. Really good podcast. Uh, I, I listened, listened to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. There was a good episode. There's a really great debate going on. Uh, Jason Connolly's podcast about training and rating systems. And it turned into job interviews. And just really, this has been going on for several weeks now, this raging debate. And it started on Dragon's Foot. So... I recommend you listen to it. I'm not going to talk too much about it in my podcast. Tonight, though, I, I, I don't have a very long podcast. I have new new music from my son, Jazz Reverb. He he was fantastic this past weekend. Uh, I, don't, I, I brag about him a lot, but he deserves it. He's very good, and I, I have some new recordings from him you'll hear. And uh, I do a session description from my Monday night AD&D game all, going all the way back to July of 2020, uh, a session I call the uh, Ocean's Eleven or Ocean Seven. I don't know. Ocean. I don't. Know, I forget it now. That that movie where they robbed the bank at the keep on the borderland, and, and it was a funny, funny. It, it, you guys just you'll hear the description, but it was funny. We had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we were laughing a lot, and that's how D and D should be. You have should have some sessions that are just wild and funny and. I bent the rules a little. I allowed them. I allowed a, a, a an NPC to pick a lock in in a darkness in the midst of a darkness spell, and nobody cared. Everybody said, "How do you do that?" We don't care. It was just it was just funny. We had it. He had to pick the lock. We had to had to move forward. I also do um, my second edition of the basic to AD and D model, and tonight I talk about henchmen and hirelings. So that's it. That's really the episode. That is it. It's a. It's on. I think the whole episode is definitely under thirty minutes, and I will have a little uh, conclusion at the end. And I hope you enjoy it. Well, okay. One more thing. I am going to start collecting stories of of people who have been playing Dungeons and Dragons since the seventies and eighties. Uh, there's a thread on Dragon's Foot going right now, or or there was a thread a couple weeks ago that was pretty active of people who got away from the game and kind of came back to it, like me and like some others. And there's also some Facebook discussions on this. So if you are interested in sharing your story of how you used to play and how you continued to play over all these years, or even better, how you used to play, well, actually, those stories might even be better. But alternatively, how you used to play in the 80s or the 70s when you were young and now at middle age or, or near middle age, you got back into the game like me and some others. We like to hear those stories or or you just continued playing the whole time. So I, I don't know if I just re 
repeated myself there. So those are the two kinds of stories we like to hear. So give me a call in or volunteer and I'll do a, an interview. So that's it. That's this episode. I'm looking forward to those call-ins. And now a session description from Monday Night Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. This is the game I've been running since about April of 2020. And this session occurred in July of 2020. And this is what happened the next session after the trial of Half Dan Ragnarsson, which is the session description I read from this game in my virgin podcast so if you didn't catch it go back to the virgin podcast because the trial of half dan ragnarsson was a creation of all my own and i based it heavily on Njal's saga which is a, a an icelandic saga i was reading at the time because my son had been in iceland earlier that year before the pandemic and bought this saga for me and i based a lot of my monday night AD game on icelandic themes so we did the trial and uh, we had to get back to get some good old D&D stuff. So a few a few weeks after the trial, or, or the next session, I should say, after the trial, this, this is what happened. And, and I'll remind you if, you, if you don't want to go back and listen, at the end of the trial, the, the party returned to the Keeps. This is the Keep on the Borderland. They returned to the Keeps uh, Inn, which I named the, the Last Friendly Beer. And there they met a mysterious uh, pair, uh, uh, elf, an elf named Toasty Toes, and her halfling sidekick, we call them Hobbit in my game, Hintaline. So I, I don't think Tolkien's going to sue us if we use Hobbit. So anyway, this is the next session after they met. This is what they observed next after meeting this mysterious pair. The strange toasty toes and Hintaline baffled the party. But Halfdan really couldn't care. After Balg and group walked away, Balg praising Halfdan for doing good, Halfdan realized he was either really exhausted or really needed a few hours with one of Balg's Valkyries. He left. The party then started thinking about what they could do. Then suddenly the elf and hobbit disappeared into the kitchen with Carla. When they returned to the common room, Noldo got a Noldo in his pants, as Toasty was one of the most stunning elves he'd ever seen. Drogo, too, was smitten. She enticed Woody to sing and got Noldo onto the dance floor. Next, she got Drogo out there. She plied them both for info and begged them both to join her. Then she got Carl in her arms, and he became a big bowl of jelly. Before Frederick could figure out what in the gods was going on, his three companions signed up to help rob the bank. Well, they didn't actually say they were going to rob the bank, but everyone saw where this Ocean's Eleven story was going. Oh, and it got better. Noldo and Drogo were first out to the fountain to find the sexy elf and her hobbit sidekick. They entered the courtyard with a new character, a dwarf named Chunkasasa. Carl also joined them. While dancing, Toasty promised Carl she'd show him some great magic, while also quizzing him, a la Merlin challenging Morgan in the movie Excalibur. And Carl didn't do too bad. Well, 
didn't do too well. She told him she could show him real power by burning all his friends. Carl wasn't too keen on that one. But in the courtyard, he was totally intrigued when she handed him a figurine of an owl serpent and told him to throw it on the ground and say, Hedwig, if things got hairy. To wait for complete darkness, Toasty took the group to the curtain wall and pretended to suck face with Noldo, whose Noldo, Noldo got pretty rigid, even though they really didn't kiss. When it was dark enough and the courtyard cleared enough, Toasty moved the party along the curtain wall to the bank. The only light in the area of the courtyard shone from two torches on the tower wall just opposite the bank's door. She told Noldo, Noldo to have his bow ready and to go in the alley and keep an eye out for trouble and speak like an owl if he sees any trouble. Toasty stepped out near the bank door and in six seconds invoked a dark spell, causing a 15-foot blob of preternatural darkness. The party fumbled their way to the door. Tick-tock, tick-tock. The dark spell only lasts 17 minutes. And Hinta picked the lock. Before opening, Toasty started working up another spell. When the door swung open, the occupant inside the room could see nothing outside, and Toasty stepped up and captured him in Otolik's resilient spear. Tick-tock, tick-tock, only good for seven minutes. Hinta rushed immediately to the locked gate to the basement vault. While he tried the lock, Toasty shut the door, that, that being Hinta. While Hinta tried the lock, T minus six minutes, Toasty shut the door to the bank and placed a hold portal spell on it. Hinta failed at the lock, but Drogo got it, T minus five minutes. Chunka and Carl stayed upstairs to guard the guard. Down in the vault, Hinta found and deactivated the first lock trap, T minus four minutes. And since all the traps were the same, deactivated the others very quickly while Drogo started popping locks. Hinta also popped those Drogo didn't. T minus one minute. In the next minute, the three of them just threw as much as they could into a bag. In the meantime, Noldo saw guard activity and sheepishly said, Hoot, hoot. Frederick, having been posted at the tavern window, followed behind blue cloaks, and heard the alarm sound. Upstairs in the bank, Carl watched as the spear faded. Chunka had gone behind the guard, but failed two times to get the easy backstrike. But Carl immediately tossed off the figurine and yelled, Hedwig! Before the guard could do anything, he had an owl trying to rip out his eyes. The owl never actually hit him, and with two strikes, the guard turned it back into a figurine. Seeing this, after coming up the steps with the loot, Toasty started evoking Tasha's uncontrollable laughter, which rendered the guard incapacitated with laughter. Everyone else wanted to laugh at the sight of her paddling her own behind and waving a feather over her head. Drogo picked up the bag while she cast her spell, but after rendering the guard useless, she took it back. She told everyone to leave the bank and she released the hold on the door. In the dark blob, now, with about eight minutes left, Toasty started evoking more magic. Carl and Drogo didn't know what was going on, but they could tell the jig was up. Guards had them surrounded. When the preternatural darkness faded, they were bathed in torchlight. At the bank door was the banker in plate mail and the guard. The banker screaming, it is all gone! By the alley, five blue cloaks, and in the courtyard, five more. Several guards also stood on the tower now, crossbow, crossbows trained on Carl and Drogo. 
Toasty and crew simply had flown away. Carl and Drogo were arrested and taken eight taken to level eight of the dungeon, the same cell Halfdan had been in. Frederick said something like this to himself. I knew this plan sucked. And now for another segment of the basic to AD&D muddle. So let's get going on it. The basic to AD&D muddle. And for this edition of this segment of my show, I'm going to be talking about how we often muddle up hiring and using retainers. And first off, if you play basic, they are called retainers. That's exactly what they are called. Players hire retainers in the basic edition. And it's defined as a non-player character adventurer in the employee of a player character. So then you get into those books. You buy those hardback books and you want to start running advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And for us, it just meant we were better players. Check us out. We're moving up to the harder rules. Check us out, Mom. We're playing advanced D&D now. Yeah, whatever, son. Clean your room. But anyway, I digress. And uh, you notice right off the bat that they don't even use the word retainer in the book. It's not what you call them. And I'm double-checking. Yeah, looking in the glossary. It's not in the glossary, which doesn't mean the word's not used. But the, the beginning of the Dungeon Master Guide, a lot of time is spent on hirelings and henchmen and guess what these are the people and a more more i think a more descriptive way of describing the kinds of people players can hire and i wonder in the people for for those people who moved on started with basic or kind of like me and my friends did and then moved on to AD&D. I wonder how many people even use the hirelings. Because the hirelings are not the same thing as the retainers. And remember, I read the definition just a moment ago of what a retainer is. It's a, it's a player character class hired that's played as an NPC hired to work for the players. But in AD&D, they open up a whole new world of hirelings. And these hirelings are divided into different groups. you got your standard hirelings. And you have... Your expert hirelings. And in general, these kinds of hirelings, they, they don't look like they're adventuring types. Some of them might go on the adventure. They might be a bearer or a porter or a leather worker or the link boy. And the link boy is uh, the person who bears the lantern. Not to be confused with the piss boy from, from France in uh, History of the World. Um, or was that... No, that wasn't History of the World. Was that History of the World? Anyway no well i'll get that i'll re-record that part and you can also hire pack handler teamsters valet lackey so i'm encouraging my groups to hire these types get these types of people help you out you know why don't you have a link boy carrying your um lantern in the in the dungeon so what if he gets killed you know you're not paying him much and um 
Well, the Link Boy, by the way, he costs a gold piece a month, so he's one of the more expensive standard hirelings. Uh, the most expensive standard hireling is the Teamster. At uh, I'm sorry, the Limner at 10 gold pieces. The Limner is almost an expert hireling. And then you get down to these expert hirelings, and these these are yeah blacksmiths, alchemists, armorers, mercenary soldiers, which I, I don't think are really um, followers or henchmen, sages, scribes. So you have all these. I'm not going to go through them all, but they're really cool. They are actually cool. And if you are a dungeon master and you've skipped this stuff in your game, it starts on page 28. And the descriptions of the expert hirelings goes all the way to uh, page. It looks like it goes to page. Wow. 34. So quite a lot of real estate is spent on this, which suggests to me it, it's sort of it's a part of the game. It should be used. So I do. I encourage my players to hire these these kinds of people and then you get to the henchmen here. The henchmen. This is where the muddle comes in. The henchmen are your prototypical basic rules retainers. And these are your character classes. And there was an episode of Grog Talk, I think, I, I might be mistaken, but I think they went through and did all the rolling to see what kind of henchmen a character got in, in one episode. I could be mistaken. It might, they might have been doing something else. It's been a while since I listened to that episode. But it was good fun, and, and they did it. And there's not as much time spent on the henchmen. Uh, surprisingly, not as much real estate. It starts on page 34, where the hirelings end, and it goes just to page kind of 37, it looks like. And it has other th interesting things here. Uh, equipment, loyalty, a lot of time spent on loyalty, which is very important. Alignment, things like that. So it's good. And I, I then encourage my players to hire henchmen. Now here's where the muddle, this is the muddle. I need to come up with a sound effect for muddle, muddle, muddle. Like, it needs to reverb. I got to get jazz reverb to reverb, make a reverb for me when I say muddle. I I would bet, and I love to get call-ins if, if, if I'm wrong, but I would bet of my two or three listeners um, out there, or maybe 10, I don't really know, I would bet a lot of you muddle the rules with, with retainer rules in, in the basic. And how do you let your players hire henchmen bet i know how you do it i bet i got it you let them go to the tavern or the inn or check out the the common areas of the town maybe you let them post a sign and at very little cost if if actually no cost you let them find henchmen and hire them but that's not the rule that's the rule in basic that's how it's done in basic and a lot of us like basic. We love basic. Let's admit it. A lot of us AD&D players, including myself, secretly love basic. Because, like vanilla, I love vanilla ice cream. I don't admit that out when I'm out in public. I don't admit I just love vanilla. If you give me a choice, I'm vanilla. I'm just white dude. I'm a vanilla. I'm basic. I'm a basic dude. Vanilla ice cream. I'm just a white dude. I'm vanilla. You don't like to admit that, but we secretly like basic. And why do we like basic? Because it's just easy. Basic's easy. That game is so freaking easy to run, and I love it. I And I've played basic over the last few years since I've gotten back into D&D with a, a guy who wanted to learn how to be a DM, and he was running a Beckme game. So it's basic. And I loved it. And then I didn't love it. There's certain things I didn't like about it. And I tried a Crafts, Castles, and Crusades game last summer, and it's advanced D&D, but a lot of it's basic. It's, it's kind of... 
kind of adopt some basic stuff and I didn't like that either. So I got to pause. I just heard a strange noise. I think an animal is in my house. Well, I know there's an animal in my house. I have two of them and one of them is doing something. So I'm back. The cats looked guilty as hell, but I couldn't figure out what the heck they were doing. And sure enough, just as I start recording again, I hear another strange noise. Maybe they're fighting. I don't know. Maybe they'll kill themselves. I wouldn't care. Uh, there's a million cats, so before you think I'm cruel, there's lots of cats that need rescuing. So if my two cats kill themselves, that just means a, a home for two more cats that need it. And um, back, back to the basic, though. I, I just said the DM probably just lets them hire... Uh, the retainers after an interview process or maybe even no interview process but there is a d12 role that the dm's supposed to do and inter interestingly the rules for retainers are included in the players section of the of the basic rules and i'm looking at the uh oh boy i guess i have the moldvay rules let me open it up i'm touching it too moldvay tom moldvay i got the red book moldvay rules and i would imagine it's the same in homes maybe not I don't care. I don't have homes, so I don't know. So the point is, uh, I wonder if the DM even knows there's supposed to be that one to twelve roll. Uh, if he might forget it, and uh, just like, and then I think in AD and D, I, I've actually I know for a fact in AD and D, I've been in games where we we've hired some retainers uh, recently, and uh, we don't do any kind of rolling, and there's no cost associated. So let's go to the DMG, and of course, advanced versus basic just means more complicated and but but there's brilliance in the compl complication I, I think and and it's hard and it's kind of a pain in the butt but if you read through the various instructions here under henchmen i, I really like this system and, and there's some points of i i don't like and i would i would homebrew it and and last night i played my monday night add game after a pause last week and we use this we use this uh these rules, and I actually messed it up the first time we used it in, in the one town, and then the players had to try again in the, the second town. And it's a shame because they spent 100 gold pieces trying to hire henchmen, and I, I kind of, I was trying to read it quickly last night, and it was late, and I was tired, and I, I had them not find any, and I had a great excuse why they didn't find any, and the players didn't really mind. And I'm actually glad it worked out that way because it's actually more realistic to what was going on in the world at that moment. Uh, but in the next town, I've adjusted how I did it. And I, I was originally gonna say they found one possible henchman, but now I, I reread the rules and I calculated. Today I calculated and they actually are able to find four. Um, and I like these rules. I'm not gonna go through them all, but you these they have rules here for figuring out the level of prospective henchmen, the race of the henchmen, the locale and racial distribution, the racial specifications, the number of pros prospective henchmen. Uh, now, I ha you can scale it. I scaled it uh, instead of 1 to 100 or whatever. I scaled it just to 1 to 10 in this little town they're in. And then there's the um, effective location of the henchmen, the method of trying to hire them. And here's this is great. I love this. This is way better than basic. They can put up public notices, and there's a cost, and there's effect an effectiveness. Uh, there's a crier. They can hire a crier uh, and an effectiveness. You can hire an agent, and this is very expensive. Three gold pieces for the uh, three hundred gold pieces to hire an agent. That is really expensive, but it's twenty to fifty percent effective. And then there's frequenting inns and taverns with special costs and special 
effectiveness. Now, the thing is, I messed up last night. I, I was trying not to read all these blocks of text. I, I tried to read the example on effectiveness, and I didn't realize the effectiveness just means the effectiveness means the percentage of the henchmen available. The that that so if you're your um, various ways of hiring, your various methods of hiring add up to say 50%, that means you would get 50% of the potential uh, population of henchmen in the area you're in apply for the job. I took it very, very quickly last night during the game. I just took it to mean your success or not success. So uh, now that I, I've gotten my head on straight, uh, I, I uh, have adjusted for the next new town they're in, and, and they didn't even spend as much. And I'm going to get into the things I don't like about this after I go through the rest of the sec sections, uh, subsections. So there's length of time required for responses. This is great. I like this. None of this is in the basic edition. You, you'd have to make all this up as a DM in basic or ignore it, hand wave it, like we like to say. Well, I guess hand wave means it's there and you don't do it. So I, I really think in basic, the act, you just wouldn't do this stuff. I don't think a DM would think to do all this stuff. Then there's the treatment of the henchmen, classes of the henchmen. There's calculations here, percentages. I like this table. I, I, I use this table. Then there's the cost of employment. It goes through how you have to pay and buy their stuff. And then it goes on acceptance of the employment. Uh, equipment of the henchmen, exceptional henchmen, and then loyalty. I love it. I love all. I actually like it. I really like it. I love to hear people call in and tell me whether you like it or not. And here's the only thing I would change. We were talking about this last night in the game, and the more experienced players and I all agreed that posting a public notice, according to DMG, is 50 gold pieces and has a 10 to 40% effectiveness. And hiring a crier is just 10 gold pieces and as a 1 to 10. And we, we feel like this, this must be a mistake. It, this must be a mistake. So I, I would reverse those. I'd have the public notice be 10 gold piece with a 1 to 10 effectiveness. And again, effectiveness here isn't whether you're successful or not. It has to do with the percentage of the available possible henchmen population so let's just make it easy and say there's a hundred henchmen in the city they're in and and the, there's a way to figure this out there, there's a discussion of figuring out the perspective of henchmen available and then you go to by these effectiveness ratings and that's how many or that's the percentage of those available who will apply for the job well i i do think the posting should have a less effectiveness than the town crier so we think that's a mistake. But even going further, I, I just think these costs are kind of crazy. 10 gold pieces to put up a sign or a posting when if I page back a few pages and I could hire uh, a limner to work for me for a whole month for 10 gold pieces, that just seems out of, that doesn't seem right. And to hire a town crier to go out for just a few days of work at 10 gold pieces or or here yeah it's listed at 10 by the way the posting's supposed to be 50 gold pieces so that's really crazy when you can hire the limner for 10 gold pieces but let's assume that the cost for the crier at 10 gold pieces was really supposed to be for the posting that's still crazy and then instead of 10 gold pieces to hire the crier you're supposed to spend 50 gold pieces well i can hire um 
you know, I can hire an alchemist for 300 gold pieces. Why would a town crier cost 50 gold pieces for a few days of work? Um, I can hire, um, you know, I can hire, I'm looking at this. The, well, again, you can hire a, a leather worker or the limner for 10 gold pieces. You can hire a, a leather worker for, for 10, for 30 silver pieces for a whole month of work. So I, I just think that's that's out of whack, whether it's 10 gold pieces to hire the crier or 50 gold pieces. Uh, so I, I would change these. I would, I'm would i going to house rule these from now on. I don't think I'm going to change the effectiveness, though. I like the effectiveness percentages. I like that they're in the book, and I can just point to them and say that's the rule. But I would change the cost structures. Even the agent, I wouldn't charge the players 300 gold pieces for the agent. That's I just think that's too expensive. That's a lot of money to do that kind of work. And I, I just don't like it. Uh, so that's it. That's the model. And I've gone through it. There's no sense in beating a dead horse tonight because I probably have to go out and beat two cats that are living. So um, that's the model. I'd like to hear, do any of anyone else, how do you model it? Do you really just ignore these rules in the DMG? And maybe you didn't even use basic. Maybe you just made up your own way of having your players hire henchmen or maybe you don't use it maybe it's not used in your game anymore i find in the modern game dms would rather scale modules than include henchmen in the module and the fact of the matter is i don't like to do that i'm not going to scale a module I, I like to play the module the way it's written uh i like the number of monsters included and the level of the monsters so if i have a group of adventurers and and I know they're not, you know, they just don't have enough in their party to, to survive. You, you got encourage them to get the henchmen. And once they have a lot of money, I have fourth, I have characters in my Monday night game, third through fifth level or third through fourth level. Two of them are about to become fifth level. And I really encourage them to spend their money. Like don't save money, just spend your money, hire all these hirelings and hire henchmen. And I explained to them last night, I said, you really need to think about it. Having a chest full of gold is one thing, but that doesn't project status or power in the medieval or ancient world. What really projected power back then? Well, wealth did. Let's I, I'm not dumb, so don't don't call and yell at me. I know wealth actually mattered. But what really mattered for strong leaders, the hero types. It's actually their followers. Achilles wasn't just a great warrior, but he led the Myrmidon fighters. He had a retinue. Uh, Julius Caesar in real life was a powerful leader in Rome. There were uh, richer men than him. Uh, even in the triumvirate, he had a richer, richer people uh, aligning with him. But he actually ended up winning and then eventually getting stabbed but he won and took over because he had a retinue of men he had his soldiers that would follow him to the ends of the earth having a retinue having followers or henchmen and that's built into dnd and this came up in in other podcasts this came up in nerds rpg variety cast a big debate over leveling and training and i think we got into I forget what else, but this came up about why this game is more aligned with the medieval 
in ancient world than we like to think about. Um, so rising up through the ranks, getting followers, getting henchmen, and eventually the followers, which are different than the henchmen. I think followers are free. These are people that just follow you for free. This is a sign of your power, of your character's power. And the game has really changed a lot over the decades from that kind of thing, the wargaming aspect, to really like advancement in the game. You're just kind of like a superhero and you collect cool shit or stuff and and you're just powerful. It's like kind of like a Harry Potter-like story. Like the good guys never become powerful in, in the sense that they become warlords or leaders or something like that. And if they do become dukes or something, it's just because they're really cool and they freed slaves or they rescued a princess. But if you really think D&D is really nitty gritty, you you become that baron or that freeholder, not just because you go on adventures and collect a lot of gold. You do it. The magic user gets his tower after he clears out the land and makes everybody kind of serve him in the land. And the fighter gets his freehold when he has followers and he becomes powerful. So this whole idea, I like to encourage the players to think more that way. Stop thinking of their power as just those chests of gold. It, it's, what are you doing with that gold? Are you hiring people? Are you the kind of people that have charisma and people want to follow you? That And that's how I want my games to be run. And I, that's my way. And, and people can do it another way. So that's the end of the segment. So that's the episode. In the coming weeks, I am going to finally do, I'm finally going to do a Netflix or actually an Amazon Prime review of The Wheel of Time. I've been trying to delay this because it's not going to be good. So if you're a Wheel of Time fan, you should have had plenty of time now to watch the, the episodes, uh, the season one. I hope it's the last season for all I care. So uh, you'll hear that. I'm also going to do my review of Witcher on Netflix. I'm also going to at some point talk, discuss Cobra Kai, which I got into. That's also on Netflix. I think it used to be YouTube, but now it's Netflix. And I'm going to talk about The Expanse, which I also like. And I've begun re listening to on audio books, audiophile, whatever I use. And I'm also going to talk about this other one on Netflix I've been watching, Murderville. Not all in one episode, mind you. Just in the coming weeks, we'll start doing reviews. I'm also, I got another, I got another uh, package. I got another uh, unboxing coming up. And that's going to be really exciting. I, I can't wait. My unboxings are really the best unboxings. You, you shouldn't listen to anyone else's unboxings. Just, just wait for mine. They're really the best. Uh, Keep in mind, as I'm closing this issue, I want you to call in and give me uh, your stories about how you've either continued playing D&D over the years and how you managed to do it, or alternatively, how you played a lot when you were young and then got away from it from a number of years, but then you got, that's your midlife crisis. You got back into it, like me. I want to hear these stories and I want to broadcast them. Uh, lastly, I'm going to do in the coming weeks uh, some more basic to AD&D modeling. And I'm putting together right now, I'm going to do an interview of uh, Wendy from my Monday Night AD&D game to discuss alignments and how newer players and, and players more experienced with 5e 
really struggle with the whole concept of alignment and how to play it. And I think Wendy has a lot of really interesting things to say on the topic. And also, I will be doing a segment uh, interviewing Sean from my Monday night AD&D game. And in that one, we're going to talk really about his love of Curse of Strahd. We're also going to talk about how his love of D&D ties in to the love of his life which happens to be Wendy. And we'll do some other fun things in the coming uh, weeks. We're going to do more readings from the Sword of Cassanta, and we will be doing more session description readings and lots of other fun things. So get these call-ins so I can do uh, enact the emergency podcasting system. And, well, I'll, I'll say it. There's a secret episode I'm going to be working on, and it's going to be at what point, how much can you homebrew the game and then no longer be playing the game. And I'm going to be drawing, hopefully, conversation from Dragon's Foot and other podcasters. And this is going to be a big show. I, I think I'm going to dedicate the whole episode to this. So if you made it this far, now you know. And that's coming soon, sometime in March. And with that, I will encourage you all to continue exploring all the many worlds in your own minds. And with that, Jazz Reverb is going to take us out. Thank <laughs> you.